0: Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of In the Barn. I'm Robin and I'm Kelsey and in today's episode we're going to count down the top 10 most memorable equestrian olympic games. What made the 2016 olympics so scary for those in the equestrian center? Did Germany cheat in the 1936 olympics? Stick around to find out. All right. Do you want to give like any explanation as to why we're doing this episode, or just like jump straight to? Yeah, you give an explanation. Oh, I don't have one. I was just thinking. So (laughs) why? (laughs) That's why I volunteered you. I don't even know how we decided to do this topic. I know obviously it's the Olympics, and I think we were just looking for interesting Olympic moments and found quite a few, and thought we would share those interesting Olympic moments throughout the life of the Olympics. Uh, as it pertains to horses so i guess that's what what we're doing is memorable
1: memorable olympic games horsey style well it's not necessarily memorable in like the good sense it's more of the olympics in review problems and controversies when it comes to our four legged equine friends i guess we should just start with uh number 10 the number 10 uh yeah we're doing a countdown from 10 to 1 in case you didn't know how countdowns work we're doing a countdown Starting at ten, which is still memorable, but like on the lower end of memorable, and then we'll end off on number one, which is
0: Pete. And you can argue with our order. You can like that's we. we this is our order. This is what we thought made them most memorable. If like you disagree, that's fine. That's fine. You're allowed to disagree. Like leave a comment, leave a review, and uh, re rank them for us if you disagree. In tenth place, they're number ten, most memorable, most controversial. I put 1992 Barcelona. So this actually was a pretty interesting game. So we have talked about this one a lot. Uh, if you want to know more about Barcelona Olympics, go and listen to the last, our last episode all about heat. But this was the Olympic Games where they discovered that the equine was an athlete, too. Uh, Before this time, no one had really thought of the horse as being an athlete. We now think of horses needing sports medicine just the same way people need sports medicine, that they need the therapies and the treatments and all of this stuff the same way people do. We hadn't really thought of that before. At the Barcelona Olympics, we those Olympics were a hot mess, literally a hot mess. But this was the Olympics that really launched a lot of our heat research. We under, we learned things like it's okay not to scrape your horse between hosing them horses can drink cold water after you ride them uh so we did a lot of research post the barcelona olympics but during the olympics specifically during cross country they had horses that were coming in off the cross country courses that had temperatures up to 107 degrees like these horses we're hot. Uh, One hundred and four is considered problematic, but and these horses were like going to the max reading on the thermometers. Like they could have been higher, the thermometers just didn't go higher. So these horses were not coming in off across of country in good shapes because they had rid it, it, gone and done the long format in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, and it was all on TV and the public watched this and they could easily see the distress in the horses and they could also see riders. Uh, falling um, which the public was a little bit outraged by so one of the viewers or some of the viewers I'll say were there uh, representing the Humane Society of the United States (laughs) and they became very painfully aware of eventing at the 1992 Olympics so this was apparently the first opportunity a lot of Americans had to watch the Olympics and watch eventing what they saw horrified nbc's viewers apparently they saw horses crashing into unyielding obstacles uh, and refusing to jump them all together and basically this set off the humane society they s- had a whole letter writing campaign to fei they sent them lists of demands trying to explain to them how dangerous the sport was how much they needed to change the sport they even later in that year showed up at Fairhill uh event with the sheriff, (laughs) uh, because they wanted to be there for the horses in case any horse got injured or fell on course. The Humane Society wanted to be there to help the horse. And this was all driven by members watching the 92 Olympics. They even targeted and wrote to newspapers and sent out articles before the 1996 Olympics begging the FBI to move the Olympics or hold like the eventing in a different place or do it in a different time of year because they thought it was really inappropriate. They said it was like way too hot, too humid in Atlanta to compete. If you listen to the last, our last episode, you know all the research and all the work that has been done in order to get to the 1996 uh, Olympics. Humane Society clearly wasn't aware of that. And I thought it was really interesting that Tokyo's like, res- or not Tokyo, <laughs> uh, the FBI's response was, uh, we're good. Thank you, FEI. Like we know how to run this event. <laughs> the 92 Olympics had a lot of like backlash from home due to how difficult they were but we learned so much from those olympics and started to recognize that our horse was it you know, was an athlete as well and needed to be treated like an athlete and that there was a lot more than just showing up with a horse in order to to ride at the olympics it, There was a lot more care that had to go into making that athlete and getting them there but yeah they showed up at fair hill in october after the olympics because they watched the olympics so then they were like let's show up at Fairhill because that's the next logical step um and they wanted to get a good luck they wanted to look at the design of the course um how hard and how difficult the obstacles were because I felt that was really important and uh most importantly they just wanted to be there if a horse was injured to support the horse to be a bit available to the horse if it was injured
1: i appreciate like i appreciate that i'm assuming their actions came from a good place and wanted to help the animals but it's still kind of amusing to listen to it
0: yes slightly amusing and I my understanding is I couldn't find what their listed demands were I don't think the FEI took them very seriously (laughs) uh, or implemented any of them and I also don't think the Humane Society paid much attention because they didn't understand all the research and all the work that had been done and that I think at the 92 Olympics 11 horses either like uh, fell like horse and rider combos fell on course which as you'll find out it's not bad that's actually pretty good uh <laughs> but yeah so that is 92 Olympics
1: all right and then at number 9 I'm coming in with the 2016 Rio Olympics right this one was held in Brazil and I think a lot of people have heard about Brazil not necessarily in the best of light and this was certainly one of those instances where back in 2016 And even through till 2018, especially with their economy, Brazil was dealing with quite a bit of political instability and economic crisis at the time. There was backlash against the current president for money laundering and political corruption prior to the games taking place. Like the president, President Rousseff, was stripped of her power for 180 days due to like an impeachment vote, leaving her vice president to become the residing president during the time of the games. But when it went through like, the actual polls when Vice President Temer became the president, it showed only 8% of people actually wanted him there. The rest got even more upset at the fact that now he was president. So there was a lot of outrage. And because of like the whole shifting of political power, the impeachment votes going on, crowds and like rallies and protests were becoming increasingly bigger and more upset and more volatile to some extent. And then at the same time, Brazil was experiencing one of their worst economic recessions since the 1990s. And this was affecting those participating in the Olympic Games. For instance, three members representing Spain were robbed at gunpoint. The Australian Paralympic team was also robbed at gunpoint. And then the Australian rowing coaches were robbed at knife point. The Red Line Expressway, which was the main road leading into the Olympic site, became a really popular place for gang-related shootings to take place. Cool. So there was a lot going on. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a lot happening. There was actually more instances of, like, people getting robbed, pe- like, people randomly disappearing and dying that were, like, guards and police officers and stuff. That, like, these far-extending crazy circumstances ended up reaching the stables at one point. It ended up being on August 6th, a stray bullet was fired into a media tent in the equestrian center. No one was hurt during the incident, although it did almost hit a British freelance photographer. And originally they just thought like it was something falling off the top of the tent and just like landed on the ground and people went over to check out what it was. And they're like, oh my God, that's a (laughs) bullet. That's concerning. (laughs) gosh. That's. Yeah, I thought there was two bullets. I think they found two bullets in the stable area. There was another bullet incident. So that one happened August 6th, and police went to investigate it, and they're like, yeah, so we don't think this has anything to do with the horses. (laughs) We actually think they might have been trying to shoot down our blimp. So you guys just got, like, a fair – like, a stray bullet. (laughs) Blimp attacks. And then August 10th – so within the same week, just four days later, a stray bullet was found inside the Olympic Equestrian Center close to the stable, and – Upon response to this, one of the people was like, don't worry, we'll dive into this to figure out where this bullet really came from, what's really going on. But like, I couldn't figure out or find any information on like, what they concluded from that. But everyone was like, I don't think it's, I don't think it has to do with the horses. I don't think like, anyone's trying to shoot the horses. That would be
0: just like, so nerve wracking. And like, what if, I mean, I don't know. I just would be so scared to have my horse there, just just in case. Like, I get you're not shooting at horses, but
1: two bullets is a lot of stray bullets well so on top of that not only was it two bullets it wasn't like like one bullet found in track one bullet found in like the swimming pool it was two bullets within a week's time on separate incidences found within like the equestrian area
0: yeah were there stray bullets found other places just in the horse barn
1: I didn't look into that was there other stray bullets
0: I don't know I don't know I was just that was the thought that came because no. I'm like where were the horses that they were in a situation where stray bullets could be because like they're just in downtown Brazil I guess Brazil like, is like a country but like downtown Rio just off the strip like where were the horses that they were accessible I
1: don't know where exactly the horses were but I do know their stable area was located near the military uh area and so I don't know if some of these stray bullets were aimed at, like, the first one they attributed to gangs trying to shoot down the police. So I don't know if, like, the other stray bullet was them aiming at, like, the military and stuff. And at one point during the competition, like, before I took off, they're like, hey, could you guys, like, maybe stop doing shooting exercises during the day? It's freaking out our horses. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. And the military was like, sure, sure, we'll put our training exercises on hold. So while it's not, like, super extreme, I still feel like, you know – Two bullets, too many, near horses.
0: Yeah, and it's an interesting story. Like, I hadn't heard about bullets in the barn until we started doing the research. Like, I don't know. That just – it's a little interesting, a little nerve-wracking. And I know the Rio Olympics was very controversial just due to how corrupt Brazil is and has been. And, like, yeah, I know there was a lot of controversy around that. Yeah, that was – that was the Rio Olympics. Okay, so in eighth place, we have the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. So – We've been here before. We're going to do it again this year. Yay. <laughs> so this Olympics, our little bit of a sunspot, see this is a nice moment, is that this was the first Olympics that women got to compete in. So this was the, well, for eventing, excuse me, for eventing. So the first female competitor in eventing was Helena DuPont, who rode horses for USA. Um, I think she was like 25 at the time she got to compete in the Olympics. And, That's impressive. Yeah, because up until this point, It was believed that women um, were too fair to compete uh, in eventing because before it was called eventing, it was called military, and so um, because this was a military sport, or where eventing came from is it came from the cavalry uh it's always believed that women were just like too soft and too fragile so she basically had to prove everyone wrong and i found this little story from a usa hall of fame article that they posted because she did become a hall of fame member in 2015 but she had to prove them all wrong battling treacherously slick footing and heavy rains, she and her maryland bred mr wister triumphed over the cross country course despite enduring several falls in the u.s equestrian team book of riding she describes her first fall and her eventual completion <laughs> with brutal objectivity We fell hard, Worcester breaking several bones in his jaw. We were badly disheveled and shaken, but Worcester was nevertheless eager to continue. We fell a second time near the end of the course, tripping over another spread. When we finished, we were a collection of bruises, broken bones, and mud. Anyway, we proved that a woman could get around an Olympic cross-country course, and nobody could have said that we looked feminine at the finish.
1: I don't know if she proved what she thought she was proving i mean
0: yeah no one should be riding their horse home with broken bones and just anywhere uh one fall is one fall too many on course we've now seen the air in our ways and understand that you know horses uh, are athletes they do feel uh that pain but also like she proved at like 25 that like she could be here too like that was something that. Only the men would do. Only men could fall off a horse and get back on. Women couldn't do that. So on the biggest stage possible, she proved them wrong. And I think that's that's a cool story that she was – that it didn't go to plan. That she didn't have a beautiful cross-country round. And people can't say, well, she just got lucky. Like, she didn't get lucky. She had to work every moment of it. And I say she got really unlucky. Got really unlucky and proved that she was – worth her weight so this is also an olympics where air travel was becoming a lot more popular and a lot more obtainable for all countries and they could travel by air with their horses unfortunately three horses had to be euthanized during the travel two horses on the way including um one of the u.s eventer horses he panicked uh on departure and so he had to be euthanized on the plane chile lost a show jumping horse um on the way to tokyo as well he died of a heart attack on the plane and then um and so did argentina they lost a horse as well on the flight home wanting to avoid this trauma uh probably not able to afford airplanes i'm not sure the soviets uh decided they were going to stick to the sea they were gonna you know travel by boat and their uh, boat got stuck in a typhoon on their way there but thankfully uh, they made it okay no one they didn't have to destroy a single horse they all survived
1: that is the joy of uh, traveling that's giving me so many flashbacks to watching that one scene from international Velvet. which i
0: thought wasn't real and apparently that was based off a true story i thought that made no sense i thought that was ridiculous i was like there's no way a horse would just start panicking on the plane and they'd have to like euthanize it on the plane like that there's no way that makes zero sense but um apparently that was true story but also 1960s airplane travel is probably a little bit different for horses than it is today so there's that but also was not international velvet the 80s so i feel like they should have figured it out by
1: then they had a couple years to figure it out international velvet was filmed in 1978 okay so a few years after so maybe i don't know i don't know coming in at number seven we have the 2008 2008- beijing olympics where everybody was just caught doping their horses there was the really big scandal that happened within show jumping Uh, originally you had four horses that tested positive for an illegal substance which was capsaicin i think is how you say it actually i don't think that's how you say it but that's how i'm gonna say it capsaicin is classified as a doping substance it's prohibited due to its hypersensitizing properties and as a medical class a substance for its pain relieving properties. It has always been an illegal substance, but there had recently been new developments with techniques to determine the use of it. And so that, I think that was really what was happening to a lot of people. There was Brazilian rider Bernardo Alves and his horse Chupa Chup. There was Germany rider Christian Allman and his horse Koster, which he attributed his horse testing positive for it to the use of chilies, which he was using to promote blood flow. and uh is an extract from chilies and so he used chilies on his horse to promote blood flow but he thinks that is how the substance got within his horse's system and how he was able to test positive for it sure sure and then there was also Irish rider Dennis Lynch and his horse Latinoa La- Latinoa Let- sure mm-hmm. and he um went to tribunal when he was arguing against it and said that he was using a product called Equiblock and this is a topical pain reliever. He said that apparently he uses Equiblock on his horse's lower back prior to exercise quite commonly, but ended up testing positive for it and they weren't willing to reverse their decision to eliminate him. And then also Norway rider Tony Andre Hansen and his horse Camiro tested positive for capsaicin. And these are all show jumpers? These were all show jumpers. The other show jumper that tested positive a little bit later on was Brazilian rider Rodrigo Pasella. With his horse Rufus. He tested positive for Novamide, which is prohibited due to its pain relieving properties. And it's also a part of the capsaicin family. And then there was another rider for the United States, rider Courtney King, with horse Mithilus. And she was in dressage. Her horse tested positive for felbinac, which is used as an anti inflammatory and a pain reliever. And it's not necessarily count uh classified as a doping product but it is classified as a banned medication so there were six horses in total that were banned because they were caught doping yeah i don't did you hear of any other riders that were banned for that i i only found six i thought the hong kong team was
0: also eliminated for doping like the entire team for sure jumping
1: they might have been i didn't see that because the biggest thing i could find that everyone was blasting was the four riders because you had Dennis Lynch involved and Christian Allman. And they were the four riders that all had their horses test positive for the same thing. Well, and I know the reason
0: behind like the, a lot of it is that when it comes to show jumping is the hypersensitivity. And I know after the, the 2008 yeah. Olympics, they had to create new tests for determining if the horses were had basically had something rubbed on their legs. So their legs would be extra sensitive. So they wouldn't want to hit the jumps is basically my understanding of what some of this doping is has to do with like it has triggered additional tests for show jumpers specifically
1: yeah as well as like a lot of the products that are banned for their pain relieving properties which obviously if you are running track in the olympics and you're taking ibuprofen to like cover up your shin splints or whatever that's on you you're making that decision yourself Mm -hmm. but their idea behind why you can't be giving the horses any pain reliever and they can't be found with that in their system is that the horses need to be sound enough and healthy enough to compete without the use of those type of products Because the horse isn't making that decision on their own to take that pain reliever. So, like, if they're needing to use it, then there's something else happening. I don't disagree. But fun fact at this one, they actually ran cross-country here on a golf course. And I was a little jealous because, let's all be honest, when have we not wanted to go running across a golf course whenever you see one on your horse.
0: And oh my gosh, yeah. You were talking about horse uh hoof print divots in the grass and how people get upset <laughs> with their lawns being ruined. Oh my gosh, could you imagine how
1: mad those golfers must have been like after the cross country? Oh, they are furious. They had to <laughs> have been so angry. All right. On to number six.
0: Okay, in sixth place, we have the 1960 Rome Olympics. And this one is affectionately, like my little nickname for it, is Roycroft's Ride. (laughs) So I am super, super excited to introduce you to someone who I may think, I may think, I think may be one of the best eventers of all time, Okay. This man is a legend and he's on a he's Australian. I never heard of him, but I am sure Australia is well aware of this person uh, and how awesome he is. So his name is James William George Roycroft, uh, also known as Bill. He is one of Australia's like greatest Olympians. He is a he was extremely successful in just everything he did. OK, so he grew up on a farm as like a little boy and he was a poor Poor child of a farmer living in rural Victoria, and he grew up in like tough conditions during the Great Depression. He ended up serving in World War II. He became a soldier, and after he was a soldier, he came back home and he started his own farm with his own wife and started having a family. But it took him quite a while uh, to realize his dream and he didn't make it to the Olympics for the first time until he was 45, which is like an average age. I feel like for equestrians, we don't really make it to the Olympics super young all the time. Equestrians are definitely the oldest participating in the Olympics. Isn't Philip Dutton the oldest Olympian this year? So go Philip. I don't know. Is he? oh i thought i saw that somewhere and if i'm wrong i'm so sorry (laughs) philip you look so good you look so good so you don't look a
1: day over 30.
0: (laughs) yeah you look great um, so he was one of the first Australians, or actually he was one of the first Australians to compete at badminton in England, and he won. So he was the first Australian to win badminton. Oh. He was also, and this was in 1965, he brought three horses to badminton, which at that time was sort of unheard of. Most people were bringing one ride, and he brought three horses. Dang. Which nowadays is totally normal. And he also placed like second and sixth with two of those horses. Throughout Bill's lifetime, he produced 23 Olympic horses. 23 horses that he trained went to the Olympics. He also, his family was an olympic dynasty so both him and his two sons and his wife all competed in the olympics
1: dang okay dang. and
0: him and his son he won i think bronze at every olympics he competed in he competed in four different olympics and he also won him and his son competed and won the bronze medal i think at the 1968 mexico games
1: (laughs) you have someone in the
0: background i so do i so do all of that all of his accomplishments is not what made him a household name what made him a household name is the 1964 olympics right that's what i'm talking about nope 1960. (laughs) (laughs) it was the 1960s cross country day and show jumping day that made him a household name According to Jimmy Warford, when we look at the Olympics or we look at eventing, there are different eras. And so in the 60s, that was part of the fox hunting era. Uh, It lasted from 1952 to 1984. And this was basically sort of the Wild West of eventing. It wasn't as bad as the military era where we didn't really understand how jumps worked. We started to understand how jumps worked in the 60s and 50s or yeah, from the 50s to 60s, 70s, we started to understand it. It was becoming a little bit more civilized of a sport but it was still kind of the wild west so in an article that was first published in september 12 1960 titled roycroft's amazing ride wins gold medal The article opens with victorian dairy farmer bill roycroft with an amazing display of courage lifted australia to an olympic gold medal when he left his hospital bed to complete the course in a three-day equestrian event roycroft who was suffering from a concussion completed the course on our solo without losing a point and gave australia its first ever gold medal in three-day eventing so how did he get a concussion why was he in the hospital let's talk about it (laughs) yeah i have follow-up questions roycroft like everyone else had fallen on cross-country day uh during the cross-country course he and his horse art solo some resulted after jumping over what was reported to be like a really dangerous cement tube for some reason Uh. Uh, i know i remember being a kid people hated uh culvert jumps as well they're just like big round I think it was a big cement culvert that he jumped over and had a rotational fall nowadays he would have been you know whisked off the side take it directly to a hospital but you know in those days like I said it was a little bit of the wild west he was able to hop back onto his horse and complete the course he had I believe broken his collarbone and had a concussion So once he got to the end of the course, he had to be taken, he was a little bit groggy, and he was taken back to uh, his hospital. Australia, their placing was one, two, and three uh in the ranking so australia this is back when you had four riders on a team and the fourth person was a drop score or was a drop score so only the top three scores for your team counted so australia at that time after cross country was in first second and third and this was also when you could compete in individuals and teams at the same time unfortunately one of his other teammates had to withdraw because his horse did not pass the veterinary test the next day uh because he had torn his suspensory ligaments oh and I wow. just want to stop and say, you you jogged a horse with a torn suspensory, and we're like, I hope the vet doesn't notice. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. How did you think they were gonna yeah. pass
1: the lameness check?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, like suspensory ligament isn't isn't a small injury. Um, more comments on this later. So basically, once they realized that Brian, I don't remember what placing Brian was in, but once they realized that he couldn't compete, his team captain and his teammates showed up at the hospital where he was in Rome in order to like tell him basically we need you to ride if we're gonna win the gold medal like can you ride I understand you're in the hospital um, with a concussion and a broken collarbone and your arms like in a sling but like any chance you can ride and Roy Croft was like yeah totally all right uh, however the doctors were like no you you can't leave the hospital like this isn't healthy and so Roy Croft basically insisted on signing himself out they had to bring an Australian doctor and I think to convince the doctors to let him out uh, he had to sign um, like a waiver because basically he threatened that like if they wouldn't give the doctors wouldn't give him his clothes, he was just gonna leave in his underwear and like walk out the hospital <laughs> that is how much this man wanted the gold is he was just gonna leave in his underwear um and basically he had to sign a document taking like the responsibility for his safety an Australian doctor ended up like filling him with painkillers um he was like heavily dosed with painkillers he was unable to bend over and basically his teammates had to dress him and like get him onto the horse like he couldn't even climb onto the horse so like this man is very like not okay um basically they
1: pushed him onto the horse and he didn't miss a single fence clean round i can't even do that without a concussion broken collarbone and being dosed up on pain meds
0: yeah and apparently after his ride he asked for a steak and a glass of beer
1: Wow, that's another one that sounds just like International Velvet. I'm getting all sorts of flashbacks. Right,
0: and I was just like, is it this? Is, this is like so much like 1960s though. White men's medicine. Like I'm fine. Just give me some beer and some dirt, and like I'll get through this. Uh, but yeah, he ended up going on and competing in several more Olympics after this. The one thing I do want to point out is that the victory photo, all four team members are dressed in on their horses. And I just wanna again, Brian, your horse has a torn suspensory. Yeah. Time. Do you like do you think maybe you should not be riding your horse around for the victory lap? I know it's cool, but like can we hand walk the horse? Like can we just like leave them in the stall totally unrelated horse fact but the 1960s rome olympics is what triggered the need for future doping tests at future olympics so this was because uh in one of the cycling competition a danish cyclist collapsed and died after his coach gave him meth <laughs> and the olympics the Olympic Committee realized that in the future they need to find a way to test for banned substance. and so at the 1960 Winter Games in France, they did test. They had a test ready for uh, banned substances, and they found um, one one person failed the test because they had uh, drank beer, and apparently beer was a banned substance
1: at 1968 Olympics. <laughs> oh my God! Wait, did the cyclist know he was getting pumped with meth, or did like the coach do that without
0: his knowledge? I don't, I don't think he he knew. I don't oh if you God. are fully understood what he was thinking. That taking, poor
1: guy. So. That sucks.
0: Jeez. But meth will give you energy, though. You know, I, we've definitely heard this.
1: Yes, but it also kills you. So it's all avoid just, let's just avoid meth in general.
0: I mean, also totally unrelated to Olympics, but like meth and cocaine, huge issue. was like a huge issue in the racehorse industry at this time as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned for next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving away from the meth. And on to the Olympics in position number five is going to be the 1968 Mexico City Olympics, which were fortunately, because it's the last time it happened, but also unfortunately, the last time horses died in the Olympics. So, I mean, I'm glad it's been that long. I'm glad it's been that long, but geez, I wish we would have gotten our crap together sooner than that. For the Olympics... In Mexico, there was a few issues that kind of contributed to this a little bit. There's also some other issues that are happening on the side that weren't necessarily attributing factors, but are also just interesting to note. For starters, the footing there was really rocky. The Mexico climate was really hot and humid, as well as Mexico City sits 2,300 meters above sea level, resulting in 30% less oxygen. And it was showing that horses that were flown in to race and then were immediately flown back out within like a two to three day period, they didn't show any changes of performance. Horses that were flown in that stayed there for a while at that raised elevation took approximately four weeks to adjust to it. And around the 10th and 20th day, the horses showed their weakest and like most exhausted moments. And the first horses that were flown in during the Mexico City Olympics flown in partway through september and then they competed midway through october so i think maybe potentially Mm. we saw a lot of horses that were tired on the course because they hadn't really fully adjusted to that change in elevation yet at that time there was also a change that occurred on course due to the heavy rainfall so in mexico and in those different climates you get like el nuno um or not el nino el nino rains and like tropical storms that come through and just absolutely dump buckets of rain For like 30 minutes and then they're gone but they kind of ignored that factor and still held the cross-country in an area that was prone to these kind of rains and floods happening and ended up happening on cross-country day when the horses were out running cross-country they got 30 out of 49 horses through and around the course before the rains came and it rained like torrential downpour for about 30 minutes but once the rain was finished There was a stream on course. They had made one of the obstacles and a jump. And there was actually, I think, three different places on course where you jump the stream. One part was at like its widest part. And before the rain, the stream was sitting at about two meters wide. After the rain. Okay, so like six feet. After the rain, it became 12 meters wide. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, and like four feet. It rose like four feet in depth. And they were still making all these horses jump that like
0: oh my gosh yeah they were still
1: making them jump that and like the refusals they received at that counted the exact same way like refusals before the rain happened i'm like i feel like there had to been a change like did no one think huh maybe this is a different question that we we're asking the horses to do earlier in the day well yeah
0: even like even if you were to go slow through it first off is there a ditch in the middle like were they gonna trip was it or was it the stream? Like what were they okay was the footing okay no
1: footing was not okay okay there was like one part in the stream where i think you just jumped the stream itself and that was the widest part when it became like 12 meters wide which is Mm -hmm. a decent decent distance i don't know what 12 meters what's like wait 12 36 feet yeah so that's wide that's a good that's a good distance yeah right there was another spot in the stream that they had to jump a jump And I think someone said after their interview that all you could see was the flags to the jump. You couldn't actually see the jump. (gasps) And they still went to jump it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's even pictures of a guy that is, like, standing on the shore and is, like, clearly trying to see how deep it is. And his whole leg is just in the stream. And, like, he looks like he's falling over. And before the rain happened is, like, when the real tragedy struck was. Before the rains came through, there was two horse fatalities that occurred and both were due to collapse from absolute exhaustion due to the hot humid climate. So it wasn't because they fell over a jump and lack of oxygen. <laughs> yeah, so it, and if you look at when these horses were flowing in compared to when they compete, they were totally within that like 20-day range of they're showing their weakest moments and now they're having like run cross country. And the two horses that died, I think these were their names, I couldn't positively confirm this for you. I only found them in one location. I couldn't find anywhere else that it was willing to mention who the riders were or who their horses were. But it looks like it was the USSR's Ballerina eventer that died and then Irish eventer Laughlin. I think these are both the horses' name, Being the horses that died on chorus course from exhaustion. It was just so sad. The poor babies. Yikes.
0: So number four is the 1932 Los Angeles Olympics. Uh, this is the game of no medals. So because... 1932 was maybe in the middle of the Great Depression at that time Los Angeles was relatively remote traveling to this far off distant uh, city was challenging. Only six countries were represented for eventing at the Olympics or for horse sports together. So six countries were able to send horses to the los angeles olympics so they had 11 horses competing in show jumping which was four teams 10 horses competing in dressage which was another four nations and 14 horses competing in eventing with five nations it's not very many it's not very many no it's a pretty small pretty small pool but again 1932 france only sent a dressage team the netherlands uh sent its strongest eventer sweden was fully represented but to save money they sent the their Eventers and the eventers also had to be show jumpers (laughs) so they said like the eventers did both um the u.s of course was fully represented and so was mexico because they weren't that far away um and then we had an eventer and a jumper rider from japan at this time air travel wasn't really a thing so all these horses had to travel by boat all those horses that were coming for like mexico and the us they had to travel by boat so the japanese came from a ship like they were able to launch and go straight across the pacific ocean the dutch had to sail all the way down around the panama canal and up and then france and sweden were able to take boats to new york and then travel by railroad to the us and so did mexico mexico traveled by railroad keep in mind horses on boats and trains can't move right like they're not in turnout. This is a long period of travel. And so the Dutch remembered that in 1928, the U.S. had brought along a treadmill with them. And so the Dutch did something similar where they had their own treadmill that was constructed on the boats. The horses could exercise and keep busy and fit during the voyage. And like
1: seasickness. Oh my gosh, those poor horses and they can't yak or anything. Oh, I can't even imagine what they were going through. So
0: because they weren't like we had just a few riders we didn't really send our best riders we had a fairly weak field like for most of the competition there was a fairly weak field and we had like very new uh course designers at that time so in show jumping no team finished and no team medals were awarded for show jumping because the course was basically way too much for most of the riders it was just over designed for the quality of riders that had showed up at the olympics dressage had a little bit of a weird incident occur at that time in dressage it was illegal in fbi rules to like click or make any noises with your mouth which it still is but i think you just get a like a negative two if you talk to your horse during your dressage ride but at that time sweden was competing their rider Bertel sandstrom i'm not sure how to pronounce swedish names he was competing and riding in his test and there was an unofficial judge that was standing on the side of the arena that was there for the U.S., so it was a U.S. judge standing on the side of the arena who was unofficial, not actually judging, and he reported that he heard the rider clicking with his tongue while he was competing. And Sandstrom said that this wasn't true; he wasn't clicking. It was his brand new saddle was squeaking while he was riding, and so he appealed to the committee. And basically, they determined that he would be last place individually, but he would be allowed to his score would be allowed to. Com- stay for the team so he would have won silver individually but then was placed last and so silver went to the french team and the u.s then got bronze so there's a little bit of a it was a little bit of why did the u.s judge say this when he wasn't like he had been the u.s had an unofficial judge reporting this what a jerk and it allowed the u.s to get bronze but they decided that he could stay in the team competition so his score wasn't dropped from the team competition because it didn't affect the u.s's place what a jerk. Also, this was the first time Piaf and Passage were introduced to the dressage test, and the dressage test lasted 16 minutes. Oh, that's a long dressage test. And in eventing, only the U.S. and the Netherlands were able to take home a medal. They got gold and silver, and there was no bronze medal awarded in the uh, eventing in their team competition (laughs) (laughs) oh my god no one just like finished. yeah there are not enough people finished so individuals were able to be placed because they had enough individuals finished for the top three spots but not enough teams not enough teams were able to complete the course Well, that's disturbing so that's your uh number fourth place
1: is the Los Angeles the year of no medals you'll hear this later on but that's not the last time the U.S. interferes with someone's medal but we'll get there because that's number one in number third nope in third place is the 1956 elborn elborn my god melbourne australia olympics where this was a unique one where horses were not allowed to be imported into australia due to the strict quarantine regulations so like what came about at that time was that horses that were being imported had to be there for six months in quarantine before they're able to go out and do stuff and Everyone with horses is like, well, that doesn't, I don't know if we can necessarily make that work. So they chose to have the equestrian part of things. So dressage, show jumping, and eventing were held in Stockholm, Sweden. And the first bit of controversy that comes with this uh, Olympics was observed in dressage, where the judging as the Swedish and German officials went, they placed their competitors in the top three spots which resulted in the dressage team competition being dropped from the 1960s olympics due to there being no common international like concept of dressage but they like were saying and figuring out was that those judges from their own countries would prefer their style and would give those higher scores than riders from other countries and they're like okay if you guys can't judge uniformly then you can't judge at all which meant that Dressage wasn't in the 1960 Olympics. And then the big kahuna came during cross country. So, 68 horses total fell on cross country, which is alarming to many. But once again, remember back then in those wild, wild west days, you could fall, horse included, and you guys could both stand back up and get back on and go and finish the course. And then 20 riders were also tossed from an attack. But once again, they were able to get back on and finish the course. The one jump in particular that had the most problems was obstacle 22, which was a single tracaner ditch, and it on its own caused 28 refusals, 12 falls, and unfortunately one horse fatality, who the horse fell over the jump and ended up injuring themselves during that fall and had to be put down afterwards. Although I couldn't find what country this horse came from. I couldn't find who the rider was, who the horse was. I'm really sorry about that. I wish I could give them their proper mention in due time, but one horse did die. I was reading through the names of the horses that didn't finish the course and there was one horse named Drop Dead. So like just out of principle, I'm really hoping it wasn't him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same.
0: Really hoping it wasn't him. Did you see pictures of the chicaner? What made it so
1: So challenging? I didn't see pictures of it. I read through it and it sounded like it had pretty heavy rains and that it was really muddy and slick. And I think there was potentially like a slope either going up to it or coming down into it. So it was like, there were slopes going towards it. It was really muddy and slick and just, I don't know, no one was reading it right. Everyone was just everyone was just struggling with it well
0: and if they were sliding into it if they were sliding into it that probably doesn't help for them a big scary fence right
1: you have like 28 refusals now already at this one like it's just going to tear up the footing even more when more people have to like swing back around and get back to it okay second place second place finisher second place let's hear it
0: okay so in second place we have the 1936 berlin olympics so this one is sort of infamously known as the pond when it comes to the issues with the equestrian events But this obviously was a very controversial Olympics just on the whole. This is also referred to as Hitler's Olympics. This was a time when Hitler was trying to prove how superior the white uh, Aryan race was. And there was a lot of cheating just throughout the Olympics. And a lot of countries boycotted it, not wanting to. Understanding what Hitler was trying to do at those Olympics, trying to prove how superior right white German yeah. men were compared to anyone else. So this was the Olympics where uh, Jesse Owens became quite famous as a black uh, competitor. He was a black track athlete and he ended up winning several gold medals. And there's a very famous picture of him standing on the medal podium accepting his, his gold medal. Uh, he's saluting the flag. There is, I think, a Japanese competitor standing next to him. And you have uh, an Aryan German competitor who was doing the Hitler salute next to him. Um, Unfortunately, Germany did a lot to make sure that they won. And that was was extremely obvious when it came to the horse events. Germany won six gold medals. They won team and individual gold medal in every horse event. Uh, And it's pretty obvious that something fishy was going on. (laughs) Under today's criteria, like the this was not three-day eventing the obstacles the design of the course like this was we wouldn't have competed no one would have accepted this course today one of the issues again was weather (laughs) as we mentioned in a lot of the other olympics i think olympics were held at a different time period some of them are held in the summer some of them are held later in the fall i don't remember exactly what time of year the 1936 olympics were held but they definitely had some rain issues so Only four teams out of the 14 were able to finish the course and they had like ridiculously high scores. So Germany took a gold medal with 676 points. Poland got it with 991 points. Uh, It got silver with 991 points. Great Britain won bronze with (laughs) 9,195 points. And the Czech team came in fourth with... Eighteen thousand nine hundred and fifty-two points. Oh my so God. remember, guys, these are all negative points. Those are all faults. A lot of this came from the fact that people were falling off of their horses and then had to chase them down, and so they got <laughs> a lot of time faults on cross country because they had to chase their horses down. It took a little bit of time. Oh. Clock doesn't stop for that. <laughs> uh, you can watch youtube videos of this course and you can watch youtube videos of the water jump in particular which was the world's first
1: official water jump oh wait is that the one where you watch all the horses careen into it and just come to like a dead stop because they're way deep in like belly deep water exactly
0: so what had happened was rain like with some of the other events it had rained a lot in the last between the time everyone had walked the course made their plan so the plan to ride this was you go you were go the quickest route was to go in on the right hand side I believe and you would go you would fly come in quickly jump what are those called like a fly fence it was like a ramp and then you jumped in it wasn't a very big ramp you jumped it on the right side and then galloped out through unfortunately between the time they walked riders had walked the course to the time they got to ride it that uh water jump had increased in several feet in height and depth so that is why you see so many riders running into it and that's why i've always wondered like why were we running into this so quickly if this was the first water jump oh, and it was okay. because they had no idea that it wasn't going to be riding the same as when they had walked it they'd no one and they this was before people like nowadays right we film every cross-country course and we can call back to the barn and say hey like this is the conditions have changed take the long route things are slippery etc cetera, etc cetera. this isn't riding good this is riding good you couldn't do that in th- 1936 like there wasn't walkie-talkies there wasn't a phone there wasn't video so things weren't getting back to the barn in a timely manner and so later in the day riders had figured it out people had made it back to the barn were able to tell them but what that youtube video is is the first half of the day not knowing what's going on so according to the event report um of the 46 horses who jumped into the pond 18 horses fell and 10 riders fell so not all horses were able to make it out alive unfortunately the team usa did have to euthanize a horse on course slippery slim what slippery slim uh slipped and broke his leg and then had to be euthanized right there on the course oh my god i didn't know that yeah because the bottom was like so boggy and so uh oh and a total of three horses actually were destroyed at that due to that obstacle so one was a u.s
1: horse i hate that they always use the terminology destroyed
0: right yeah you're right i should three horses lost their lives because of that fence.
1: Germany seemed to make it
0: out mostly okay I think three of their four riders jumped in and rode through really cleanly what Germany knew that no one else knew was that you actually had to ride through on the left side so while everyone course walked on the right side it was the left side that had the least amount of water and had the best footing and Germany knew this and was able to take advantage of that not all of their riders knew this um they did have one rider Kerfirst ridden or the horse was Kerfirst, ridden by lieutenant for von Wagenheim. Uh, he, he did fall off in the water, um, and, uh, like, it took him a little bit to catch his horse and get back on, because his horse, like, didn't want to get caught, and he eventually, like, remounted, and even though he had a, a, broken collarbone again, he continued on and finished the course. He, the next day, had to jump, show jumping with his arm in a sling, so unlike Roy Cofft, he kept his arm in a sling and decided to jump one-handed. This didn't actually go very well, unlike <laughs> in, uh... <laughs> Australia's case, which it went well, uh, Kerfoss, his horse basically had, like, a rotational fall backwards at one of the first jumps and, every, and just, like, laid there. No. Just laid there and everyone thought the horse was dead. But then he jumped back up and uh, continued on his... Uh, got back on and continued his show jumping course, and Germany won gold. Fanshaw Fansha fell off his horse. I had to chase it for four kilometers before remounting.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Not only was he humiliated, uh, run but he like had a, like lot. a freaking race in the middle of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he ran. uh, Yeah, he. What are those called? Uh, Those little fun runs. Those I don't remember what they're called. Like a five k? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He almost ran a five
1: k. He ran a four k to get his horse. So. That's like pentathlon. Yeah, he was running his own pentathlon. He went swimming and then (laughs) like do a little bit of running before he got back on and rode the rest of it. Do you think they like pause the course and like just wait one second while he finishes like
0: <laughs> no i am sure riders were like continuing to ride past him like i'm sure people were like hey buddy your horse is back there <laughs> and oh, B- probably, like i see your horse yeah yeah like he's way back there you're gonna you, you went too far <laughs> sir you went too far oh my god he has like his helmet on he was a little jacket. no no on. they don't have helmets they did not have helmets out. They were wearing, it was all military. They were still in their like military uniforms for, I think, a lot of this.
1: That's still uncomfortable to run a 4K. He must have been chafing so badly. And I'm
0: pretty sure he fell off in the water. So, like, he's wet and chasing his <laughs> horse down.
1: <laughs> that makes it so much better. Yes.
0: So, that is the 1936 Olympics where Germany definitely pushed their luck. You should definitely go and watch that video on YouTube. I don't, you don't see any of the bad stuff. Like, you don't know that horses were euthanized after that fence but it is pretty insane and because you look at it and you're like who the heck designed this jump because it's like a bounce in and out and it wasn't supposed to be that way it had like risen
1: three extra feet and that was fence number four by the way that was fence number four all right well i guess yeah that brings us to first place for most memorable olympics and not in the good way this one actually after reading through everything I'm really gutted for Bettina Hoy for this one. Like, it's, just, it's it sucks what happened at this one. This was the 2004 Athens Olympics. Start off, there was a lot going on with these ones between doping scandals, shifting around of medals, and like, one of the horse's urine samples just went mysteriously missing en route to the lab. And they're like, that was curious. <laughs> also, there's like a lot of horses getting dope there at this one, and ironically, Where in 2008, the Beijing Olympics, four years later, Rodrigo Pessoa was eliminated due to his own doping scandal. He actually won gold in 2004 due to the Olympic rider being disqualified for his horse being doped. So everyone was just doping. Everything was happening dope-wise. Perhaps the most interesting and I guess juiciest bit of tea that went down was between British rider Leslie Law and German rider Bettina Hoy. And although it's of this, I don't think it's actually fair to say, like, pit Leslie Law against Bettina Hoy, because it wasn't exactly how it went down. What really happened was Olympic officials behind the scenes that, like, had nothing to do with the horsey riders, non horsey people that went beyond, above and beyond their calling and what they really needed to do. But essentially, in 2004, if you look up the results, Leslie Law won individual gold at 2004 Athens Games. However, he was originally awarded silver, and Bettina Hoy was awarded gold. These results were appealed as video evidence showed that Bettina Hoy crossed the start line twice, incurring 12 to 13 time penalties. In the official document, it says 13, but everywhere else says 12. And then I saw one source that said 14 time penalties. So I don't know exactly what it was. Somewhere between 12 and 14, could have been 13, could have been 12. She incurred 12 time penalties during the show jumping phase. So what happened for her was after Hoy crossed the start line, The first time the time clock had restarted and went to zero. And so Hoy thought she had the option of circling around again before starting her round. The clock restarted once again with her when she crossed the start line the second time around. And so the whole time she was going around the course, she thought she had an accurate time clock when in reality it was tracking her previous time. And so when she went through across the time that she thought she was going, she went clear. She didn't get any time penalties. She like from start to finish, finished the course with under 90 seconds, didn't take down any rails, but because in the very beginning she crossed the start and then had the issue with the time clock, it counted that time against her that she was unaware of. The German team protested the time penalties that are originally applied to her score, stating that Hoy could not have known her real time as the clock did not show her true time. And their National Equestrian Federation decided, like, yeah, that's fair. And so they reversed the decision of adding the time penalties and there at the games, Bettina won individual gold medal as well as Germany won team gold. Unfortunately, her win didn't end there and the decision to reverse the time penalties was appealed and challenged by both Britain, France, and the U.S. And they took this up to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, arguing that the FBI was wrong to remove the time penalties And probably one of the worst parts, and it makes me feel so bad about this, is that the U.S. ended up waiting two days before they could get four heavyweight lawyers in to come to the appeal with them to discuss this. And so this was like really taken out of any of the writers' hands. This was out of everyone else's decision. And this was all team officials arguing for whose name gets to go on the podium. And after they took it to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, they decided that they were going to re-award the time penalties. And because of this, France, one of the ones that contested it, went to gold. They won team gold. Britain was moved up to team silver, and the U.S. won team bronze. Individual-wise, Leslie Law ended up winning gold for Britain, and America's Kimberly Severson was moved into silver. Whoa, I've never heard anyone say Kimberly Severson. That was weird. (laughs) you know kim severson i went to write it but like her official name is kimberly i was like that was awkward but okay yeah that was really awkward that was awkward (laughs) sorry kim severson she won silver and by the time the cas ruled against hoy's win law was already back home in england and so he found out he was olympic champion while he was competing at the sully hole horse trials poor bettina ended up having both her individual and team gold medal stripped from her as the penalties were added back on. And this put Germany into fourth place as a team, and it moved her individually to ninth. And I totally get where her frustration comes from. And I feel horrible for her. At the there was an interview that they did with Bettina where they asked her about what went down and everything. And she says that she has no has had no interaction with the American team officials and that she doesn't want to. Following the court's decision, The French and British team officials sent really nice letters to the German Federation, whereas the Americans did nothing. They didn't send anyone out. They didn't like respond. They just took their medals and went home happy. It wasn't even it wasn't anyone there that was like actually fighting for the medals that was fighting the like that was making these appeal. It was non horsey team officials that went to bat over it and were like upset.
0: That sucks i mean i made a similar mistake once before where like i didn't cross the finish line because the finish line was like at an angle my course was fine the course was good but like the finish line wasn't straight after the last fence it was off to the side and it's just like it's so out of your hands and so frustrating if that that stuff happens especially when you had like a good ride so i can't imagine having
1: a gold medal like taken from you because of something you couldn't have known exactly and like apparently the rules regarding that have also been changed since like after the olympics they went and changed the rules and like that just makes it so much worse because they probably have because
0: i know like in rodeo you have the official timer but then you also have backup timers that are being done by hand so you have people that are tracking it so she probably didn't realize that like the um well the electronic timer failed the hand timers were there hand timers that were tracking it is that how they got the
1: penalty points? Yes was yeah so there's like you have the time clock and then there's like an official off to the side that also starts their own clock and stuff and like has control over that and they can stop officially like say you like have a refusal and you knock down the whole jump you have to stop the time before they can reset the jump and you pick back up and come again yeah and like that's kind of what I'm getting it from what happened and so she admits like yeah I made a mistake that day but on top of that like there was a few mistakes that went into this and she feels like she was the only one that really got affected and penalized for the mistakes of a bunch apparently after following that she actually so she went home and was just kind of staying home and she contemplated for a while on just retiring and didn't come back that's a big deal that's a really big deal to have not only what she presented with her gold medals but then to have them stripped and give them like that's sh- that's hard to deal with doesn't matter it's one thing if
0: it happens at like badminton or rolex right like because that's just you but then to also be representing your country and your team you're not just losing your ribbon you're losing like your country's
1: medal so that definitely yeah. like that's a huge weight like i couldn't imagine because the olympics is a whole another stage where everyone is like micromanaging watching everything down to a t and where normally that she probably would have been totally fine. and They would have understood what happened. And things probably would have played out differently because it was on the Olympic stage. The, each country was like, no, that's mine. Because when, when she was out of the way, U.S. got to move into bronze. and
0: Right. And you wouldn't have had – like, again, if it was just a normal event, you wouldn't – no one would be petitioning to get their place. And no one would have that same pressure. Because obviously, like, the U.S. is doing it because they want – They want their place and they have that pressure to represent their country and make their country look as good as possible whenever possible. I mean, that's it's all about the team. It's not about like the individuals. So it's, yeah, it sucks because had that exact same thing happen anywhere else, it wouldn't be a big deal. Like it'd be probably something people like would laugh about. Like it would sting if it happened and you lost it on the prize money. But like
1: it would sting, but it wouldn't be. Yeah, it's it's just not to the same magnitude on that Olympic stage. Because it is. It's such a... With the way it went down and played out, you know, like, the final decision had nothing to do with who the riders were. It All it had to do was the Olymp- individual countries being able to claim how many medals they brought home at the end of it. Yeah. It had nothing to do with who the actual athletes were and what they were doing. Well, guys, that's that's all we got on Controversial Olympics. Hopefully, the Tokyo Olympics don't get controversial. Hopefully, all ponies come home safely. Everyone's happy. No one has any issues. Like, I just... I just want all ponies to come home safe and sound you
0: know what I mean I mean the 2020 Olympics are already a hot mess so (laughs) yeah
1: there's yeah
0: (laughs) so there's there's enough yeah there's enough controversy
1: yeah and there's already like what at least one horse was eliminated or yeah removed in dressage because one of the judges noticed that she had a little bit of blood on the lips and that's an immediately immediate elimination in dressage and I think there's like a few other things happening like various horses aren't passing their jogs or like one horse got removed because he also had like a teeth a tooth abscess like there's so much happening
0: yeah and i know there's been a couple teams that haven't even been able to send all their riders because of registration errors like that one would kill me because you have to be registered like there's a separate registration you have to do with the fei in order to compete at the olympics and if that wasn't done in time you don't get to get to compete and it's just like
1: Oh, paperwork <laughs> and the number of horses that have like popped up lame right before they were leaving that they end up having to send you know their alternates and everything yeah germany was having issues isch- everyone's been having issues this has just been well i think that
0: that's to an earlier episode we did where we were discussing that those tendon injuries are more likely to happen after when you introduce your gallop sets too early and you know how much these people have been practicing and trying to get their horses as fit and as in shape as possible because one of the strategies to manage the heat is to over exercise your horse and work them longer and harder at home in better climate so that when they do get to
1: a harsher climate they're fitter but that takes a toll on the body Yeah, everyone's trying to combat that heat because they know Tokyo is going to be really hot and humid. So watching cross-country will be interesting. But on that note, thank you so much, guys, for listening all the way through. If you did, if you didn't, then I don't know how you got here, but welcome. (laughs) to the Party. (laughs) Um, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can go ahead and reach out to us on Instagram at inthebarn.pod. Send us an email, inthebarnpod at gmail.com. If you want to leave a review for us, that way more people recognize our podcast, you can be more... Go, go for it we, we and if you don't like reviews. our order
0: if you disagree with our countdown order go ahead leave that in a review so we know so we can take your feedback and maybe we can reorganize in the
1: future but yeah exactly leave that in a review yeah so remember guys stay safe stay classy and stay in the saddle and who knows you might just make it to the olympics <laughs>
0: yeah yeah just stay in the saddle or just get back in every time you fall off and hopefully your collarbone makes it out okay